America. We are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road and The Secret Adversary by Agatha Christie. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Today, chapters 24 and 25 from The Secret Adversary by Agatha Christie. And now, chapter 24, Julius Takes a Hand. In his suite at Claridge's, Kraminin reclined on a couch and dictated to his secretary in sibilant Russian. Presently, the telephone at the secretary's elbow purred, and he took up the receiver, spoke for a minute or two, then turned to his employer. "'Someone below is asking for you.' "'Who is it?' "'He gives the name of Mr. Julius P. Hersheimer.' "'Hersheimer,' repeated Kraminin thoughtfully. "'I have heard that name before.' "'His father was one of the steel kings of America,' explained the secretary, "'whose business it was to know everything.' "'This young man must be a millionaire several times over.' "'The other's eyes narrowed appreciatively. "'You had better go down and see him, Ivan. "'Find out what he wants.' "'The secretary obeyed, "'closing the door noiselessly behind him. "'In a few minutes he returned. "'He declines to state his business, "'says it is entirely private and personal, "'and that he must see you. "'A millionaire several times over,' "'murmured Kraminen. "'Bring him up, my dear Ivan.' "'The secretary left the room once more "'and returned, escorting Julius. "'Monsieur Kraminin,' said the latter, abruptly. "'The Russian, studying him attentively "'with his pale, venomous eyes, bowed. "'Pleased to meet you,' said the American. "'I've got some very important business "'I'd like to talk over with you, "'if I can see you alone.' "'He looked pointedly at the other. "'My secretary, Monsieur Grieber,' "'from whom I have no secrets.' "'That may be so, but I have,' said Julius dryly. "'So I'll be obliged if you tell him to scoot.' "'Ivan,' said the Russian softly, "'perhaps you would not mind retiring into the next room.' "'The next room won't do,' interrupted Julius. "'I know these ducal suites, "'and I want this one plumb empty except for you and me. "'Send him round to a store to buy pennies worth of peanuts.' Although not particularly enjoying the American's free and easy manner of speech, Cremina was devoured by curiosity. 
"'Will your business take long to state? "'It might be an all-night job if you caught on. "'Very good, Ivan. "'I shall not require you again this evening. "'Go to the theatre. "'Take a night off.' "'Thank you, Your Excellency.' "'The secretary bowed and departed. "'Julia stood at the door, watching his retreat. "'Finally, with a satisfied sigh, he closed it "'and came back to his position in the center of the room. "'Now, Mr. Hershanimer, "'perhaps you'll be so kind as to come to the point.' "'I guess that won't take a minute,' drawled Julius, "'then with an abrupt change of manner. "'Hands up, or I shoot.' "'For a moment, Carminin stared blindly into the big automatic. "'Then, with almost comical haste, "'he flung up his hands above his head. "'In that instant Julius had taken his measure. "'The man he had to deal with was an abject physical coward. "'The rest would be easy. "'This is an outrage!' "'cried the Russian in a high hysterical voice. "'An outrage!' "'Do you mean to kill me?' "'Not if you keep your voice down. "'Don't go edging sideways towards that bell. "'That's better. "'What do you want? "'Do nothing rashly. "'Remember, my life is of the utmost value to my country. "'I may have been maligned. "'I reckon,' said Julius, "'that the man who let daylight into you "'would be doing humanity a good turn. "'But you needn't worry any. "'I'm not proposing to kill you this trip. "'That is, if you're reasonable.' The Russian quailed before the stern menace in the other's eyes. He passed his tongue over his dry lips. "'What do you want? Money?' "'No. I want Jane Finn.' "'Jane Finn? I, I never heard of her.' "'You're a damned liar. You know perfectly who I mean.' "'I tell you, I've never heard of the girl.' "'And I tell you,' retorted Julius, "'that little Willie here is just hopping mad to go off.' The Russian wilted visibly. "'You wouldn't dare.' "'Oh, yes, I would.' Cremina must have recognized something in the voice that carried conviction, for he said sullenly, "'Well, grant that I do know who you mean. What of it?' "'You will tell me now, right here, where she is to be found.' Cremina shook his head. "'I daren't.' "'Why not?' "'I daren't. You ask an impossibility.' "'Afraid, eh?' "'Of whom? Mr. Brown? "'Ah, that tickles you up. "'There's such a person, then. "'I doubted it. "'And the mere mention of him scares you stiff.' "'I have seen him,' said the Russian slowly. "'Spoken to him face to face. "'I did not know it until afterwards. "'He was one of a crowd. "'I should not know him again. "'Who is he, really? "'I do not know. "'But I know this. "'He is a man to fear.' "'He'll never know,' said Julius. "'He knows everything, and his vengeance is swift. "'Even I, Kraminin, would not be exempt.' "'Then you won't do as I ask you?' "'You ask an impossibility.' "'Sure, that's a pity for you,' said Julius cheerfully. "'But the world in general will benefit.' "'He raised the revolver. "'Stop!' shrieked the Russian. "'You cannot mean to shoot me.' "'Of course I do.' I've always heard you revolutionists held life cheap, but it seems there is a difference when it's your own life in question. I gave you just one chance of saving your dirty skin, and that you wouldn't take. They would kill me. Well, said Julius, pleasantly, it's up to you. But I'll just say this. Little Willie here is a dead cert, and if I was you, I'd take a sporting chance with Mr. Brown. You will hang if you shoot me, 
muttered the Russian, irresolutely. "'No, stranger, that's where you're wrong. You forget the dollars. A big crowd of solicitors will get busy, and they'll get some high-browed doctors on the job, and the end of it all will be that they'll say my brain was unhinged. I'll spend a few months in a quiet sanatorium, my mental health will improve, the doctors will declare me sane again, and all will end up happily for little Julius. I guess I can bear a few months' retirement in order to rid the world of you. But don't you kid yourself. I'll hang for it. The Russian believed him. Corrupt himself, he believed implicitly in the power of money. He had read of American murder trials running much on the lines indicated by Julius. He had bought and sold just as himself. This virile young American, with significant drawling voice, had the whip hand of him. "'I'm going to count to five, continued Julius, "'and I guess if you let me get past four, "'you needn't worry any about Mr. Brown. "'Maybe he'll send some flowers to the funeral, "'but you won't smell them. "'Are you ready? "'I'll begin. "'One, two, three, four. "'Do not shoot! "'I will do all you wish.' "'Julius lowered the revolver. "'I thought you'd hear sense. "'Where is the girl?' "'At Gatehouse in Kent. "'Ashley Priors, the place is called. "'Is she a prisoner there? "'She's not allowed to leave the house, "'though it's safe enough, really. "'The little fool has lost her memory. "'Curse her.' "'That's been annoying for you and your friends, I reckon. "'What about the other girl, "'the one you decoyed away over a week ago?' "'She is there, too,' said the Russian sullenly. "'That's good,' said Julius. "'Isn't it all panning out beautifully?' "'and a lovely night for the run.' "'What run?' demanded Kerminen, with a stare. "'Down to Gatehouse, sure. "'I hope you're fond of motoring.' "'What do you mean? "'I refuse to go.' "'Now, don't get mad. "'You must see I'm not such a kid as to leave you here. "'You'd ring up your friends on the telephone first thing.' "'Ah!' Julius observed the fall on the other's face. "'You see, you'd got it all fixed.' "'No, sir.' "'You're coming along with me. "'This your bedroom next door here? "'Walk right in. "'Little Willie and I'll come right behind. "'Put on a thick coat. "'It's cold out there. "'That's right. "'Fur-lined. "'Now we're ready. "'We'll walk downstairs and out through the hall "'to where my car's waiting. "'And don't you forget I've got you covered "'every inch of the way. "'I can chew just as well through my coat pocket. "'One word or a glance even "'at one of those liveried menials "'and there'll sure be a strange face "'in the sulfur and brimstone works.' Together they descended the stairs and passed out to the waiting car. The Russian was shaking with rage. The hotel servant surrounded them. A cry hovered on his lips, but at the last minute his nerve failed him. The American was a man of his word. When they reached the car, Julius breathed a sigh of relief. The danger zone was past. Fear had successfully hypnotized the man by his side. "'Get in,' he ordered. Then as he caught the other's sidelong glance, "'No, the chauffeur won't help you any. "'Naval man. "'Was on a submarine in Russia when the revolution broke out. "'A brother of his was murdered by your people. "'George. "'Yes, sir?' "'The chauffeur turned his head. "'This gentleman is a Russian Bolshevik. "'We don't want to shoot him, but it might be necessary. "'You understand?' "'Perfectly, sir. "'I want to go to Gatehouse in Kent. "'Do you know the road?' "'Yes, sir. "'It'll be about an hour and a half's run.' "'Make it now, or I'm in a hurry.' "'I'll do my best, sir.' The car shot forward through the traffic. Julius ensconced himself comfortably by the side of his victim. 
He kept his hand in the pocket of his coat, but his manner was urbane to the last degree. "'There was a man I shot once in Arizona,' he began cheerfully. At the end of the hour's run, the unfortunate Crominian was more dead than alive. In succession to the anecdote of the Arizona man, there had been a tough from Frisco and an episode in the Rockies. Julius's narrative style, if not strictly accurate, was picturesque. Slowing down, the chauffeur called over his shoulder that they were just coming into Gatehouse. Julius bade the Russian direct them. His plan was to drive straight up to the house. There, Cremini was to ask for the two girls. Julius explained to him that little Willie would not be tolerant of failure. Cremini, by this time, was as putty in the other's hands. The terrific pace they had come had still further unmanned him. He had given himself up for dead at every corner. The car swept up the drive and stopped before the porch. The chauffeur looked round for orders. "'Turn the car first, George, then ring the bell and get back to your place. Keep the engine going and be ready to scoot like hell when I give the word.' "'Very good, sir.' The front door was opened by the butler. Cremina felt the muzzle of the revolver pressed against his ribs. "'Now,' hissed Julius, "'and be careful.' The Russian beckoned. His lips were white, and his voice was not very steady. "'It is I, Carminian. "'Bring down the girl at once. "'There is no time to lose.' Whittington had come down the steps. He uttered an explanation of astonishment at seeing the other. "'You? What's up? "'Surely you know the plan.' Carminian interrupted him, "'using the words that have created many unnecessary panics. "'We have been betrayed. "'Plans must be abandoned. "'We must save our own skins. "'The girl, and at once. "'It is our only chance.' Whittington hesitated, but for hardly a moment. "'You have orders? From him?' "'Naturally. Should I be here otherwise? Hurry! There's no time to be lost. The other little fool had better come too.' Whittington turned and ran back into the house. The agonizing minutes went by. Then two figures hastily huddled in cloaks appeared on the steps and were hustled into the car. The smaller of the two was inclined to resist, and Whittington shoved her in unceremoniously. Julius leaned forward, and in doing so the light from the open door lit up his face. Another man on the steps behind Whittington gave a startled exclamation. Concealment was at an end. "'Get a move on, George!' shouted Julius. The chauffeur slipped in his clutch, and with a bound the car started. The man on the steps uttered an oath. His hand went to his pocket. There was a flash and a report. The bullet just missed the taller girl by an inch. "'Get down, Jane!' cried Julius, flat on the bottom of the car. He thrust her sharply forward, then standing up, he took careful aim and fired. "'Have you hit him?' cried Tuppence eagerly. "'Yes,' replied Julius, "'but he isn't killed. Skunks like that take a lot of killing. Are you all right, Tuppence?' "'Of course I am. Where's Tommy? And who's this?' She indicated the shivering Crominan. "'Tommy's making tracks for the Argentine. I guess he thought you turned up your toes.' "'Steady through the gate, George. That's right. It'll take them at least five minutes to get busy after us. They'll use the telephone, I guess, so look out for snares ahead, and don't take the direct route. Who's this, did you say, Tuppence? Let me present Monsieur Kraminin. I persuaded him to come on the trip for his health.' The Russian remained mute, still livid with terror. "'But what made them let us go?' demanded Tuppence, demanded Tuppence suspiciously. I reckon Monsieur Carminin here asked them so prettily they just couldn't refuse. 
This was too much for the Russian. He burst out vehemently. Curse you! Curse you! They know now that I betrayed them. My life won't be safe for an hour in this country. Yeah, that's so, assented Julius. I'd advise you to make tracks for Russia right away. Let me go, then, cried the other. I've done what you asked. Why do you still keep me with you? Well, not for the pleasure of your company. I guess you can get right off now if you want to. I thought you'd rather have me tool you back to London. You may never reach London, snarled the other. Let me go, here and now. All right, pull up, George. The gentleman's not making the return trip. If I ever come to Russia, Monsieur Kermenin, I shall expect a rousing welcome. But before Julius had finished his speech, and before the car had finally halted, the Russian had swung himself out and disappeared into the night. "'Just a mite impatient to leave us,' commented Julius, as the car gathered way again, "'and no idea of saying good-bye politely to the ladies. "'Say, Jane, you can get up on the seat now.' "'For the first time the girl spoke. "'How did you persuade him?' she asked. "'Julius tapped his revolver. "'Little Willie here takes the credit.' "'Splendid!' cried the girl. "'The color surged into her face. "'Her eyes looked admiringly at Julius.' "'Annette and I didn't know what was going to happen to us,' said Tuppence. "'Old Whittington hurried us off. "'We thought it was lambs to the slaughter.' "'Annette?' said Julius. "'Is that what you call her?' "'His mind seemed to be trying to adjust itself to a new idea. "'That's her name,' said Tuppence, opening her eyes very wide. "'Shucks!' retorted Julius. "'She may think it's her name, because her memory's gone, poor kid. "'But it's the one real and original Jane Finn we've got here.' "'What?' cried Tuppence. "'But she was interrupted. "'With an angry spurt, a bullet embedded itself "'in the upholstery of the car just behind her head. "'Down with you!' cried Julius. "'It's an ambush. "'This guy's got busy pretty quickly. "'Push her a bit, George.' "'The car fairly leapt forward. Three more shots rang out, but went happily wide. "'Julius, upright, leant over the back of the car. "'Ah, nothing to shoot at,' he announced gloomily. "'but I guess there'll be another little picnic soon, eh?' "'He raised his hand to his cheek. "'You are hurt?' said Annette quickly. "'Only a scratch.' "'The girl sprang to her feet. "'Let me out! Let me out, I say! "'Stop the car! It's me they're after! "'I'm the one they want! "'You shall not lose your lives because of me! "'Let me go!' "'She was fumbling with the fastenings of the door. "'Julius took her by both arms and looked at her. "'She had spoken with no trace of foreign accent.' "'Sit down, kid,' he said gently. "'I guess there's nothing wrong with your memory. "'Been fooling them all the time, haven't you?' "'The girl looked at him, nodded, "'and then suddenly burst into tears. "'Julius patted her on the shoulder. "'There, there, just you sit tight. "'We're not going to let you quit.' "'Through her sobs, the girl said indistinctly, "'You're from home. I can tell by your voice. "'It makes me homesick.' "'Sure, I'm from home. I'm your cousin.' "'Julius Hersheimer, I came over to Europe on purpose to find you, "'and a pretty dance you've led me on.' "'The car slackened speed. "'George spoke over his shoulder. "'Crossroads here, sir. I'm not sure of the way.' "'The car slowed down till it hardly moved. "'As it did so, a figure climbed suddenly over the back "'and plunged headfirst into the midst of them. "'Sorry,' said Tommy, extricating himself. "'A mass of confused exclamations greeted him. He replied to them severally. "'I was in the bushes by the drive, 
"'Hung on behind. "'Couldn't you let know before at the pace you were going?' "'Couldn't let you know before at the pace you were going. "'It was all I could do to hang on. "'Now then, you girls, get out.' "'Get out?' "'Yes. There's a station just up that road. "'Train due in three minutes. "'You'll catch it if you hurry.' "'What the devil are you driving at?' demanded Julius. "'Do you think you can fool them by leaving the car?' "'You and I aren't going to leave the car. "'Just the girls.' "'You're crazed, Beresford. "'Stark staring mad. "'You can't let those girls go off alone. "'It'll be the end of it if you do.' "'Tommy turned to Tuppence. "'Get out at once, Tuppence. "'Take her with you, and do just as I say. "'No one will do you any harm. "'You're safe. "'Take the train to London. "'Go straight to Sir James Peel Edgerton.' "'Mr. Carter lives out of town, but you'll be safe with him.' "'Darn you!' cried Julius. "'You're mad. Jane, stay where you are.' With a sudden swift movement, Tommy snatched the revolver from Julius's hand and leveled it at him. "'Now will you believe I'm in earnest? Get out, both of you, and do as I say, or I'll shoot.' Tuppence sprang out, dragging the unwilling Jane after her. "'Come on, it's all right. If Tommy's sure, he's sure. Be quick.' We'll miss the train. They started running. Julius's pent-up rage burst forth. What the hell? Tommy interrupted him. Dry up. I want a few words with you, Mr. Julius Hersheimer. We'll return with Chapter 25, right after these sponsor messages. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And now, Chapter 25, Jane's Story. Her arm through Jane's, dragging her along, Tuppence reached the station. Her quick ears caught the sound of the approaching train. Hurry up, she panted, or we'll miss it. They arrived on the platform just as the train came to a standstill. Tuppence opened the door of an empty first-class compartment, and the two girls sank down breathless on the padded seats. A man looked in, then passed on to the next carriage. Jane started nervously. "'Her eyes dilated with terror. "'She looked questioningly at Tuppence. "'Is he one of them, do you think?' "'She breathed. "'Tuppence shook her head. "'No, no, it's all right. "'She took Jane's hand in hers. "'Tommy wouldn't have told us to do this "'unless he was sure we'd be all right. "'But he doesn't know them as I do,' "'the girl shivered. "'You can't understand. Five years. five long years. "'Sometimes I thought I should go mad.' "'Never mind, it's all over. "'Is it?' "'The train was moving now, "'speeding through the night "'at a gradually increasing rate. "'Suddenly Jane Finn started up. "'What was that? "'I thought I saw a face "'looking in through the window. "'No, there's nothing. "'See?' 
Tuppence went to the window, and lifting the strap, let the pane down. "'You're sure?' "'Quite sure.' The other seemed to feel some excuse was necessary. I, "'I guess I'm acting like a frightened rabbit, but I can't help it. If they caught me now, they'd—' Her eyes opened wide and staring. "'Don't,' implored Tuppence. "'Lie back, and don't think. You can be quite sure that Tommy would not have said it was safe if it wasn't. My cousin didn't think so. He didn't want us to do this.' "'No,' said Tuppence, rather embarrassed. "'What are you thinking of?' said Jane sharply. "'Why? Your voice was so queer.' "'I was thinking of something,' confessed Tuppence. "'But I don't want to tell you. Not now. I may be wrong, but I don't think so. It's just an idea that came into my head a long time ago. Tommy's got it, too. I'm almost sure he has. But don't you worry. There'll be time enough for that later. And it mayn't be so at all. Do what I tell you. "'Lie back and don't think of anything. "'I'll try.' "'The long lashes drooped over the hazel eyes. "'Tuppence, for her part, sat bolt upright, "'much in the attitude of a watchful terrier on guard. "'In spite of herself, she was nervous. "'Her eyes flashed continually from one window to the other. "'She noted the exact position of the communication cord. "'What it was that she feared, "'she would have been hard put to it to say.' but in her own mind she was far from feeling the confidence displayed in her words. Not that she disbelieved in Tommy, but occasionally she was shaken with doubts as to whether anyone so simple and honest as he was could ever be a match for the fiendish subtlety of the arch-criminal. If they once reached Sir James Peel Edgerton in safety, all would be well. But would they reach him? Would not the silent forces of Mr. Brown already be assembling against them? Even that last picture of Tommy, revolver in hand, failed to comfort her. By now he might be overpowered, borne down by sheer force of numbers. Tuppence mapped out her plan of campaign. As the train at length drew slowly into Charing Cross, Jane Finn sat up with a start. "'Have we arrived? I never thought we should.' "'Oh, I thought we'd get to London all right. If there's going to be any fun, now is when it will begin. Quick, get out. We'll nip into a taxi.' In another minute they were passing the barrier, had paid the necessary fares, and were stepping into a taxi. "'King's Cross,' directed Tuppence. Then she gave a jump. A man looked in at the window, just as they started. She was almost certain it was the same man who had got into the carriage next to them. She had a horrible feeling of being slowly hemmed in on every side. "'You see,' she explained to Jane, "'if they think we're going to Sir James, this will put them off the scent.' "'Now they'll imagine we're going to Mr. Carter. "'His country place is north of London somewhere.' "'Crossing Holborn there was a block, "'and the taxi was held up. "'This was what Tuppence had been waiting for. "'Quick!' she whispered. "'Open the right-hand door.' "'The two girls stepped out into the traffic. Two minutes later they were seated in another taxi "'and were retracing their steps, "'this time direct to Carlton House Terrace. "'There!' said Tuppence, with great satisfaction. "'This ought to do them. "'I can't help thinking that I'm really rather clever. "'How that other taxi-man will swear. "'But I took his number, "'and I'll send him a postal order tomorrow, "'so that he won't lose by it if he happens to be genuine. "'What's this thing?' "'There was a grinding noise and a bump. "'Another taxi had collided with them. "'In a flash, Tuppence was out on the pavement. "'A policeman was approaching. "'Before he arrived, Tuppence had handed the driver five shillings, "'and she and Jane had merged themselves in the crowd.' 
"'It's only a step or two now,' said Tuppence, breathlessly. "'The accident had taken place in Trafalgar Square. "'Do you think the collision was an accident, or done deliberately?' "'I don't know,' said Tuppence. "'It might have been either.' Hand in hand, the two girls hurried along. "'It may be my fancy,' said Tuppence suddenly, "'but I feel as though there was someone behind us.' "'Hurry!' murmured the other. "'Oh, hurry!' They were now at the corner of Carlton House Terrace, and their spirits lightened. Suddenly a large and apparently intoxicated man barred their way. "'Good evening, ladies,' he hiccuped. "'Whither away so fast?' "'Let us pass, please,' "'said Tuppence imperiously. "'Just a word with your pretty friend here.' "'He stretched out an unsteady hand "'and clutched Jane by the shoulder. "'Tuppence heard other footsteps behind. "'She did not pause to ascertain "'whether they were friends or foes. "'Lowering her head, "'she repeated a maneuver of her childish days "'and butted their aggressor full in the capacious middle. "'The success of those unsportsmanlike tactics was immediate. "'The man sat down abruptly on the pavement. "'Tuppence and Jane took to their heels.' The house they sought was some way down. Other footsteps echoed behind them. Their breath was coming in choking gasps as they reached Sir James's door. Tuppence seized the bell and Jane the knocker. The man who had stopped them reached the foot of the steps. For a moment he hesitated, and as he did so the door opened. They fell into the hall together. Sir James came forward from the library door. "'Hello, what's this?' He stepped forward and put his arm round Jane as she swayed uncertainly. He half-carried her into the library and laid her on the leather couch. From a tantalus on the table, he poured out a few drops of brandy and forced her to drink them. With a sigh, she sat up, her eyes still wild and frightened. "'It's all right. Don't be afraid, my child. You're quite safe.' Her breath came more normally, and the color was returning to her cheeks. Sir James looked at Tuppence quizzically. "'So, you're not dead, Miss Tuppence, any more than that Tommy boy of yours was.' "'The young adventurers take a lot of killing,' boasted Tuppence. "'So it seems,' said Sir James dryly. "'Am I right in thinking that the joint venture has ended in success, "'and that this,' he turned to the girl on the couch, "'is Miss Jane Finn?' "'Jane sat up. "'Yes,' she said quietly. "'I am Jane Finn, and I have a lot to tell you.' "'When you are stronger.' "'No, now!' Her voice rose a little. I shall feel safer when I've told everything. As you please, said the lawyer. He sat down in one of the big armchairs facing the couch. In a low voice, Jane began her story. I came over on the Lusitania to take up a post in Paris. I was fearfully keen about the war, and just dying to help somehow or another. I had been studying French, and my teacher said they were wanting help in a hospital in Paris. So I wrote and offered my services, and they were accepted. I hadn't got any folk of my own, so it made it easy to arrange things. When the Lusitania was torpedoed, a man came up to me. I noticed him more than once, and I'd figured it out in my own mind that he was afraid of somebody or something. He asked me if I was a patriotic American, and told me he was carrying papers which were just life or death to the Allies. He asked me to take charge of them. I was to watch for an advertisement in the Times. If it didn't appear, I was to take them to the American ambassador. Most of what followed seems like a nightmare still. I see it in my dreams sometimes. I'll hurry over that part. Mr. Danvers had told me to watch out. He might have been shadowed from New York, but he didn't think so. At first I had no suspicions, but on the boat to Holyhead 
I began to get uneasy. There was one woman who had been very keen to look after me and chum up with me generally, a Mrs. Vandermeyer. At first I'd been only grateful to her for being so kind to me, but all the time I felt there was something about her I didn't like, and on the Irish boat I saw her talking to some queer-looking men, and from the way they looked I saw that they were talking about me. I remembered that she'd been quite near me on the Lusitania when Mr. Danvers gave me the packet, and before that she'd tried to talk to him once or twice. I began to get scared, but I didn't quite see what to do. I had a wild idea of stopping at Holyhead and not going on to London that day, but I soon saw that that would be plumb foolishness. The only thing was to act as though I'd noticed nothing and hope for the best. I couldn't see how they could get me if I was on my guard. One thing I'd done already as a precaution, ripped open the oilskin packet and substituted blank paper, and then sewn it up again. So if anyone did manage to rob me of it, it wouldn't matter. What to do with the real thing worried me no end. Finally I opened it out flat, there were only two sheets, and laid it between two of the advertisement pages of a magazine. I stuck the two pages together round the edge with some gum off an envelope. I carried the magazine carelessly stuffed into the pocket of my ulster. At Holyhead I tried to get into a carriage with people that looked all right, but in a queer way there seemed always to be a crowd round me shoving and pushing me just the way I didn't want to go. There was something uncanny and frightening about it. In the end I found myself in a carriage with Mrs. Vandemeyer after all. I went out into the corridor, but all the other carriages were full, so I had to go back and sit down. I consoled myself with the thought that there were other people in the carriage. There was quite a nice-looking man and his wife sitting just opposite. So I felt almost happy about it until just outside London. I had leaned back and closed my eyes. I guess they thought I was asleep, but my eyes weren't quite shut, and suddenly I saw the nice-looking man get something out of his bag and hand it to Mrs. Vandermeyer, and as he did so, he winked. I can't tell you how that wink sort of froze me through and through. My only thought was to get out in the corridor as quick as I ever could. I got up, trying to look natural and easy. Perhaps they saw something, I don't know, but suddenly Mrs. Vandermeyer said, Now! and flung something over my nose and mouth as I tried to scream. At the same moment I felt a terrific blow on the back of my head. She shuddered. Sir James murmured something sympathetically. In a minute she resumed. I don't know how long it was before I came back to consciousness. I felt very ill and sick. I was lying on a dirty bed. There was a screen round it, but I could hear two people talking in the room. Mrs. Vandermeyer was one of them. I tried to listen, but at first I couldn't take much in. When at last I did begin to grasp what was going on, I was just terrified. I wonder I didn't scream right out there and then. They hadn't found the papers. They'd got the oilskin packet with the blanks, and they were just hopping mad. They didn't know whether I'd changed the papers or whether Danvers had been carrying a dummy message, while the real one was sent another way. They spoke of, and she closed her eyes, torturing me to find out. I'd never known what fear, really sickening fear, was before. Once they came to look at me, I shut my eyes and pretended to be still unconscious, but I was afraid they'd hear the beating of my heart. However, they went away again. I began thinking madly. What could I do? I knew I wouldn't be able to stand up against torture very long. Suddenly something put the thought of loss of memory into my head. The subject had always interested me, and I'd read an awful lot about it. I had the whole thing at my fingertips. If only I could succeed in carrying the bluff through, it might save me. I said a prayer and drew a long breath. 
"'Then I opened my eyes and started babbling in French. "'Mrs. Vandermeyer came round the screen at once. "'Her face was so wicked I nearly died, "'but I smiled up at her doubtfully "'and asked her in French where I was. "'It puzzled her, I could see. "'She called the man she'd been talking to. "'He stood by the screen with his face in shadow. "'He spoke to me in French. "'His voice was very ordinary and quiet, "'but somehow I don't know why "'he scared me worse than the woman.' I felt he'd seen right through me, but I went on playing my part. I asked again where I was, and then went on that there was something I must remember, must remember, only for the moment it was all gone. I worked myself up to be more and more distressed. He asked me my name. I said I didn't know, that I couldn't remember anything at all. Suddenly he caught my wrist and began twisting it. The pain was awful. I screamed. He went on. I screamed and screamed, but I managed to shriek out things in French. I don't know how long I could have gone on, but luckily I fainted. The last thing I heard was his voice saying, That's no bluff. Anyway, a kid of her age wouldn't know enough. I guess he forgot American girls are older for their age than English ones, and take more interest in scientific subjects. When I came to, Mrs. Vandermeyer was sweet as honey to me. She'd had her orders, I guess. She spoke to me in French. "'told me I'd had a shock and been very ill. "'I should be better soon. "'I pretended to be rather dazed, "'murmured something about the doctor having hurt my wrist. "'She looked relieved when I said that. "'By and by she went out of the room altogether. "'I was suspicious still "'and lay quite quiet for some time. "'In the end, however, "'I got up and walked round the room examining it. "'I thought that even if anyone was watching me from somewhere, "'it would seem natural enough under the circumstances.' It was a squalid, dirty place. There were no windows, which seemed queer. I guessed the door would be locked, but I didn't try it. There were some battered old pictures on the walls, representing scenes from Faust. Jane's two listeners gave a simultaneous, Ah! And the girl nodded. Yes, it was the place in Soho where Mr. Beresford was imprisoned. Of course, at the time, I didn't even know if I was in London. One thing was worrying me dreadfully, but my heart gave a great throb of relief when I saw my ulster lying carelessly over the back of a chair, and the magazine was still rolled up in the pocket. If only I could be certain that I was not being overlooked. I looked carefully round the walls. There didn't seem to me a peephole of any kind. Nevertheless, I felt kind of sure there must be. All of a sudden, I sat down on the edge of the table, put my face in my hands, and sobbed out a, "'Mon Dieu! Mon Dieu! I've got very sharp ears.' I distinctly heard the rustle of a dress and slight creak. That was enough for me. I was being watched. I lay down on the bed again, and by and by Mrs. Vandermeyer brought me some supper. She was still sweet as they make them. I guess she'd been told to win my confidence. Presently she produced the oilskin packet and asked me if I recognized it, watching me like a lynx all the time. I took it and turned it over in a puzzled sort of way. Then I shook my head. I said that I felt I ought to remember something about it, "'that it was just as though it was all coming back. "'And then, before I could get hold of it, it went again. "'Then she told me that I was her niece "'and that I was to call her Aunt Rita. "'I did obediently, and she told me not to worry. "'My memory would soon come back. "'That was an awful night. "'I'd made my plan whilst I was waiting for her. "'The papers were safe so far, "'but I couldn't take the risk of leaving them there any longer. "'They might throw that magazine away any minute.' I lay awake waiting until I judged it must be about two o'clock in the morning. Then I got up as softly as I could 
"'and felt in the dark along the left-hand wall. "'Very gently I unhooked one of the pictures from its nail. "'Marguerite with her casket of jewels. "'I crept over to my coat and took out the magazine "'and an odd envelope or two that I had shoved in. "'Then I went to the washstand "'and damped the brown paper at the back of the picture all around. "'Presently I was able to pull it away. "'I had already torn out the two stuck-together pages from the magazine.' "'and now I slipped them with their precious enclosure "'between the picture and its brown paper backing. "'A little gum from the envelopes helped me to stick the ladder up again. "'No one would dream the picture had ever been tampered with. "'I rehung it on the wall, put the magazine back in my coat pocket, "'and crept back to bed. "'I was pleased with my hiding place. "'They'd never think of pulling to pieces one of their own pictures. "'I hoped that they'd come to the conclusion "'that Danvers had been carrying a dummy all along, "'and that in the end they'd let me go.' As a matter of fact, I guess that's what they did think at first, and in a way, it was dangerous for me. I learnt afterwards that they nearly did away with me then and there. There was never much chance of their letting me go, but the first man, who was the boss, preferred to keep me alive on the chance of my having hidden them, and being able to tell where if I recovered my memory. They watched me constantly for weeks. Sometimes they'd ask me questions by the hour. I guess there was nothing they didn't know about the third degree. But somehow I managed to hold my own. The strain of it was awful, though. They took me back to Ireland, and over every step of the journey again, in case I'd hidden it somewhere, en route. Mrs. Vandemeyer and another woman never left me for a moment. They spoke of me as a young relative of Mrs. Vandemeyer's whose mind was affected by the shock of the Lusitania. There was no one I could appeal to for help without giving myself away to them, and if I risked it and failed, and Mrs. Vandemeyer looked so rich and so beautifully dressed, "'that I felt convinced they'd take her word against mine "'and think it was part of my mental trouble "'to think myself persecuted. "'I felt that the horrors in store for me "'would be too awful "'once they knew I'd been only shamming.' "'Sir James nodded comprehendingly. "'Mrs. Vandermeyer was a woman of great personality. "'With that and her social position, "'she would have had little difficulty "'in imposing her point of view "'in preference to yours. "'Your sensational accusations against her "'would not easily have found credence.' "'That's what I thought. "'It ended in my being sent to a sanatorium at Bournemouth. "'I couldn't make up my mind at first "'whether it was a sham affair or genuine. "'A hospital nurse had charge of me. "'I was a special patient. "'She seemed so nice and normal "'that at last I determined to confide in her. "'A merciful providence just saved me in time "'from falling into the trap. "'My door happened to be ajar "'and heard her talking to someone in the passage. "'She was one of them!' They still fancied it might be a bluff on my part, and she was put in charge of me to make sure. After that, my nerve went completely. I dared trust nobody. I think I almost hypnotized myself. After a while, I almost forgot that I was really Jane Finn. I was so bent on playing the part of Janet Vandemeyer that my nerves began to play me tricks. I became really ill. For months I sank into a sort of stupor. I felt sure I should die soon and that nothing really mattered. A sane person, shut up in a lunatic asylum, often ends by becoming insane, they say. I guess I was like that. Playing my part had become second nature to me. I wasn't even unhappy in the end, just apathetic. Nothing seemed to matter. And the years went on. And then suddenly things seemed to change. Mrs. Vandermeyer came down from London. She and the doctor asked me questions, experimented with various treatments. There was some talk of sending me to a specialist in Paris. "'In the end, they dare not risk it. "'I overheard something that seemed to show "'that other people, friends, were looking for me. 
I learned later that the nurse who had looked after me went to Paris and consulted a specialist, representing herself to be me. He put her through some searching tests and exposed her loss of memory to be fraudulent. But she had taken a note of his methods and reproduced them on me. I dare say I couldn't have deceived the specialist for a minute. A man who has made a lifelong study of a thing is unique. But I managed once again to hold my own with them. The fact that I had not thought of myself as Jane Finn for so long made it easier. One night I was whisked off to London at a moment's notice. They took me back to the house in Soho. Once I got away from the sanatorium, I felt different, as though something in me that had been buried for a long time was waking up again. They sent me in to wait on Mr. Beresford. Of course, I didn't know his name then. I was suspicious. I thought it was another trap. But he looked so honest, I could hardly believe it. However, I was careful in all I said, for I knew we couldn't be overheard. There's a small hole high up in the wall. But on the Sunday afternoon, a message was brought into the house. They were all very disturbed. Without their knowing, I listened. Word had come that he was to be killed. I needn't tell the next part, because you know it. I thought I'd have time to rush up and get the papers from their hiding place, but I was caught. So I screamed out that he was escaping, and I said I wanted to go back to Marguerite. I shouted the name three times very loud. I knew the others would think I met Mrs. Vandermeyer, but I hoped it might make Mr. Beresford think of the picture. He had unhooked one the first day. That's what made me hesitate to trust him. She paused. Then the papers, said Sir James slowly, are still in the back of the picture in that room. Yes. The girl had sunk back on the sofa, exhausted with the strain of the long story. Sir James rose to his feet. He looked at his watch. Come. "'We must go at night. We must go at once.' "'Tonight?' queried Tuppence, surprised. "'Tomorrow may be too late,' said Sir James gravely. "'Besides, by going tonight we have the chance of capturing that great man and super-criminal, Mr. Brown.' There was dead silence, and Sir James continued. "'You have been followed here. Not a doubt of it. When we leave the house we shall be followed again, but not molested.' "'for it is Mr. Brown's plan that we are to lead him. "'But the Soho house is under police supervision night and day. "'There are several men watching it. "'When we enter that house, Mr. Brown will not draw back. "'He will risk all, on the chance of obtaining the spark to fire his mine. "'And he fancies the risk not great, "'since he will enter in the guise of a friend.' "'Tuppence flushed, then opened her mouth impulsively. "'But there's something you don't know that we haven't told you.' Her eyes dwelt on Jane in perplexity. "'What is that?' asked the other sharply. "'No hesitations, Miss Tuppence. We need to be sure of our going.' But Tuppence for once seemed tongue-tied. "'It's so difficult, you see, if I'm wrong. Oh, it would be dreadful.' She made a grimace at the unconscious Jane. "'Never forgive me,' she observed cryptically. "'You want me to help you out, eh?' "'Yes, please. You know who Mr. Brown is, don't you?' "'Yes,' said Sir James gravely. "'At last, I do.' "'At last?' queried Tuppence doubtfully. "'Oh, but I thought—' She paused. "'You thought correctly, Miss Tuppence. I have been morally certain of his identity for some time, ever since the night of Mrs. Vandermeyer's mysterious death.' "'Ah!' breathed Tuppence. "'For there we are, up against the logic of facts. "'There are only two solutions. 
either the chloral was administered by her own hand, which theory I reject utterly, or else... Yes? Or else it was administered in the brandy you gave her. Only three people touched that brandy. You, Miss Tuppence, I myself, and one other. Mr. Julius Hersheimer. Jane Finn stirred and sat up, regarding the speaker with wide, astonished eyes. At first, the thing seemed utterly impossible. Mr. Hersheimer, as the son of a prominent millionaire, was a well-known figure in America. It seemed utterly impossible that he and Mr. Brown could be one and the same. But you cannot escape from the logic of facts. Since the thing was so, it must be accepted. Remember Mrs. Vandermeyer's sudden and inexplicable agitation. Another proof, if proof was needed. I took an early opportunity of giving you a hint. From some words of Mr. Hersheimer's at Manchester, I gathered that you had understood and acted upon that hint. Then I set to work to prove the impossible possible. Mr. Beresford rang me up and told me, what I had already suspected, that the photograph of Miss Jane Finn had never really been out of Mr. Hersheimer's possession. But the girl interrupted. Springing to her feet, she cried out angrily, "'What do you mean? What are you trying to suggest? That Mr. Brown is Julius? Julius? My own cousin?' "'No, Miss Finn,' said Sir James, unexpectedly. "'Not your cousin. The man who calls himself Julius Hersheimer.' is no relation to you whatsoever. Join us next week Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time as the story starts to draw to a close with The Secret Adversary, chapters 26 and 27. Until then, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon. decisions for your company you look for the no-brainers and if you have a lot of mailing to do stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer mail checks invoices documents and everything you need to keep your business running get rates up to 89 percent off usps and ups and with the mobile app you can take care of mailing on the go make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with stamps.com sign up at stamps.com with code program for a special offer that's stamps.com code program